Hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving break, and we are right back to talking college hoops, specifically A10 hoops. Welcome back to the A10 Talk Podcast. I'm Sam Basil. Today, joined alongside Kaylee Godek, Daniel Frank, and David Korn. And before we get into our main, you know, topics for tonight, um, I feel like this is something that we've talked about on the pod. You know, I'm sure it's a name that we've thrown around a couple times. But uh, I know that at least in my Twitter DMs, Daniel has been on expansion watch in the A10, doing Commissioner McGlade a favor and scouting out some some extra teams that could be a potential sixth member. And Daniel, could you could you explain who your favorite is right now and how they're doing against the top team in the country right now? So, so as of recording of this this podcast at eight ten p.m., Bellarmine is leading. Number 19, Kentucky, 29-28 with 16-33 to go in the second half. Bellarmine has the ball. Y'all know, long-time listeners of this show know that I'm all about Bellarmine, uh, and they're doing the damn thing tonight. It, it's a good night, y'all. <laughs> yeah, so a good night for a potential future A-10 team, but, uh, you know, not a great night, or, you know, I, sh- I should say not a great past two weeks for the current Atlantic 10 conference. So starting off, um, one thing that I think has been really great uh, on the A10 talk Twitter that I've, I've actually found very useful and it's garnered a lot of discussion is <laughs> at the beginning or, you know, rather at the end of every week, right? Like the night before the, uh, the top 25 comes out or our own internal power rankings are released. Uh, we break down um the movements, the, the, the Ken Palm movements for every A-10 uh, school, uh, you know, in the past week. And I have to say, this week, you know, was a lot better. Uh, you know, Richmond moved up nine spots. UMass up two spots. Fordham up five. Uh, St. Bonaventure up 21 after getting a big win against Notre Dame. Um, but... Those schools, you know, I feel like have not been at the forefront of the conversation in terms of, you know, the national, you know, outlook of the, of the, of the conference. So, you know, going, going towards, you know, the, the, the bad side of things, Dayton down 20, Duquesne down nine spots, St. Joe's sliding, free falling down 31 spots in the Kempom rankings. Now, again, I, I say it all the time. I hate to go right to the doom and gloom. But after these two weeks, after some disappointing performances and some MTEs, a real stinker of a game uh, from Dayton in the battle for Atlantis, um, should we be worried about bid conversations for the Atlantic 10 come March right now? Yes, we should, we should be very, very worried. I think that the, especially with sort of the long-term outlook of some of these Dayton injuries that they have, they're really running out of time to get some quality wins under their belt before conference play. And, you know, kind of the hope was, I think, before that, oh, they can dominate a conference play and maybe still, if they get, like, the, the one seed in the A-10, that should keep them safe for a bid. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen now with these injuries they're having. So I definitely think that, you know, as of today, if St. Louis goes out, wins the tournament, I'm not sure, wins the A-10 tournament, I should say, I'm not sure we're even a two-bid league at this point. Wow. See, I feel like I feel like drifting into the one-bid territory is always, like, you know, the the – Obviously, it is the the absolute worst case scenario. But do you? And sometimes I feel like people, you know, go for that, and then they might be just trying to be a little dramatic, maybe overreacting a little bit. But do you think that this, you know, a one bit scenario right now is actually realistic? Based on and follow up question: Is it 
on Dayton right now? That's that, that's the reason why the conference is slipping. I mean, it could really go in several different like ways. Like it could be seen as it's Dayton's fault because Dayton was ranked at the beginning of the season, and then with a loss to UNLV causing them to fall out of the top twenty-five, and then Battle of Atlantis not winning a single game, that really doesn't help us. Along with the fact of Loya Chicago also like having the possibility to pick up a bid for us too doing really poorly this season, like not what we were expecting. It just doesn't help us at all. Hmm. I will say though, to be maybe the optimistic voice in the room, please. (laughs) It has been, it's been so long since the number one seed on the men's side won the men's a 10 tournament that until it happens, I'm never going to be convinced that the a 10 is going to be a one bid league for that reason. Because St. Louis, I think right now, I think pretty much everyone agrees, is is with Dayton's injuries, St. Louis is the hope at this point for the at-large bid. Um, and just given what we've seen the last several years in the A-10 tournament, it's hard for me to truly hit the panic button about us being a one-bid league for that reason. And I, I don't know, I, I feel very different about this year than I have in years past. I think I spent a lot of time worrying in years past about oh my God, is this finally the year that the streak snaps and we're finally in one bid league this year? This year, I don't know. I feel like the a 10 is going to be okay. Like we're in a rough spot right now. Dayton got decimated with injuries and, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But I still, I don't know. I can't shake this feeling that at at the end of the day, we're still going to get two bids in. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm just a blind optimist. I, I just, I don't know. I feel okay with where we're at. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think there's a different conversation whether you're banking on the tournament upset versus being a true multi-bid league. Because I feel like that's, that's like, because, I mean, last year, again, we, Davidson lost in the tournament, Richmond got in, Davidson was the one at large. So it's one of those things where it's like, yes, technically we might get two, but as it currently stands with the chalk, I think it's a one-bid league. Oh, but the irony also- of Richmond winning last year is they knocked out Dayton. <laughs> well, yes, but again, it's it's all part of the whole thing. So, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. If, if you go chalk right now, it's a one-bid league. Obviously, yeah, St. Louis versus the field, you probably take the field in the tournament, but that's still still not the best start. But you can also say, too, that the fact of how UMass is currently doing, 4-1 and one on the season, having a really good standout at the Myrtle Beach Invitational and currently up um, against South Florida as of 8-16, 47-33 um, with about 14 minutes left to go in a game. Like, UMass could be the surprise and be that at-large bid if, like, UMass continues to build this resume up. They still have a lot of good games left in the non-conference like portion of the season. So who knows? UMass could be that second bid. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point, especially when we – we'll talk about this later on tonight in the show about St. Joe's women. Um, but I think it's it's kind of a similar story, right? Like, you've got – a program that people thought would be decent this year, but has a really nice start to the season. And as as stupid as it sounds, if you just keep winning games and you end non-con with like a 10 and one, nine and two record, you're going to be in a decent enough spot to, you know, yeah, you may be a little weaker, you know, but, resume, but, but having a low number in the loss column sometimes could be just as important as a big number in the win column, which sounds stupid to say, but I think there's something to it. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And Kaylee, you know, to kind of talk about what, what you were saying, what's what's so tough about this conversation, right? Like like what you're saying, Daniel, and what, what you're saying, Kaylee, is that 
in the in the A ten right now in the standings, they're 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 three or four one loss teams in this conference, right? But because they are not the because they are not the teams that we expected to to chase those you know at large bids, you know the comp- people are saying the conference is in trouble, right? I mean, look at Davidson six and one. Look at Fordham six and one. Obviously, I'm not saying that Fordham should be an automatic at large team because if you look at their schedule, I'm not saying they're I'm not saying they ran a cupcake schedule, but they're not running a schedule that can you know turn them into an at-large team. And they don't want to be. That's not their goal. That's not Fordham's goal this year. But what's 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 tough is that you almost have to structure your season, specifically your non-conference season, months in advance uh, as to whether or not you want to be an at-large team. Like, you are making that decision on whether or not you're going to chase that goal uh, you know, in, in March of the previous season, whenever you're making that schedule. And that's because, you know, in, in a lot of ways, college sports are unique and, you know, specifically with basketball and that you, they follow this non-conference conference style. You look at any other, you know, professional sport in the United States, you know, there's a mix of division games, out of division games. You know, the NBA, you play games in the Atlantic. You're, if you're the Knicks, you play games in the Atlantic division. Then you play four games against every opponent in the Eastern Conference two against every opponent in the Western Conference. And it's it's all spread out and balanced in a specific way. For mid-majors and for, you know, a high mid-major like the Atlantic 10, sometimes they might be at a, a, a bit of a competitive disadvantage where, you know, they are playing against high-profile schools, really good schools in the beginning when nobody really has a time to establish an identity. Uh, no one really has time to figure out what their teams are about and by the time you are able to, you know, really figure yourselves out and go on a great run, you're just beating against, you're beating down on schools in your own conference. So the question I kind of pose to everyone here is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be restructuring the entire way that that college basketball works just because I think the A10 is being treated unfair because I don't think they're being treated unfair. But do you feel like, in some ways, the current way that college basketball is scheduled? tends to hurt mid-major schools? I mean, with how um, I see, so I'm at a D3 school. So with how our D3 schedule works is we play some non-conference games, but then we also play conference games within like the beginning of the season. So we play non-conference in February sometimes. So it like, if that happened, like, I think that could be like a good structurally based like thing, because if you're not doing well at the beginning of the season, having those conference games sometimes could help you a little bit, especially if like, you know, that the team you're going to be going against isn't a strong team. Like, you know, that you can have the confidence that you can beat them. And then like having that confidence then and having another like non-conference game at like towards the later half of the season, it could help you like, I mean, I've seen, I'm seeing that in our schedule here at Western New England, but if that happened at the D1 level, I think we could see like the A10 at least getting better and having more bids in the NCAA tournament, but who knows, honestly. I mean, I, I just think the big thing is it's, it's a really tough ask for these major Power 5 schools to really want to play us outside of like a tournament, like an MTE setting, because a loss against a um, again, not like St. Louis or Dayton right now because they were they they're sort of projected known to be very good, so it's a bit more palatable 
for these Power 5 schools to imagine a loss to them and it not to tank the resume, but I know at least at GW, um, sort of our, our struggle, our classic, the, the fight has been that no Power 5 schools really want to play us because a loss to GW would pretty much tank their at-large hopes or would put a real big dent in them if they're anywhere near the bubble. So like last year, the whole uh, GW played at Maryland. And that game, I remember uh, former head coach Jamie and Christian was telling me how he was really nervous that Maryland was going to back out of that game because GW was looking a lot, like not necessarily, um, GW is basically a lot more improved. They got some big transfers. And when they got those transfers, Christian kind of thought that Maryland would pull the plug on that because he didn't want to have, they, they didn't want to face it. So there's just that constant internal sort of, fear that you won't get any real opponents. And I think there needs to be some sort of safeguard for these power five schools to want to play us, whether it's a shift in the, you know, March Madness committee's uh, uh, criteria for who makes the tournament, whether there's less of an emphasis on non-conference games, whether there is more of an understanding, more respect put on these mid-majors about how good they actually can be, Whatever that is, I mean, I feel like until there's a, uh, like just a change on that level, there really isn't anything that can be done because we, we, as, we as in the A10, we as in the mid-majors, don't really have any real say in the schedule. It's all on the onus of the better, bigger, more well-known programs. And I think, too, like building off of that, the problem with college athletics and athletics, I think, in general, is they go where the money is, right? I mean, you're seeing teams, I think football, as much as I don't love to talk about the football side of things, um, like what you're seeing with the Big 12 next season. Like you've seen some programs like Cincinnati and Houston and UCF that have been really good group of five schools went and chased the money. They're going to the Big 12. And, you know, Houston's obviously the, the, the number one team in the country right now on the men's side. So it's not like they're just a football school. But, like, I think this is a trend you're seeing in general. Like Butler moved up from – what were they, the Horizon League um, back in the day when they had um, the Final Four teams, and now they're in the Big East. Um, Xavier used to be in Atlantic 10. If you want to go a little bit further back, you know, Virginia Tech was in the was in the Atlantic 10 at a point, as was West Virginia. As was Villanova. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting. I There's two, th- two thoughts, too, I have on the scheduling side of this that I think are interesting. We saw it a little bit during the COVID season where you kind of had – hey, our game this week got canceled. Does anyone want to play a game this week? You had like St. Louis and Iona throw a game together in like 48 hours. And I'm a little surprised that that hasn't remained. That was honestly something I thought might be a permanent thing from COVID like era of college basketball. And it hasn't stuck in the same way, which surprised me. The one thing I will say though, that kind of to go back to what Kaylee was saying, that I, I feel like there is some eventuality that the schedule may get spread out a little bit more as these super conferences keep expanding. And you get 18-game conference schedules. It, it would not shock me within five years. We're looking at 20-plus game conference schedules in some of these big power conferences. You know, you already see it a little bit. I think the ACC has, like, a couple games this weekend that are conference games. Um, and so that is spreading out the schedule a little bit. The problem is they're spreading it out more, though, for, I think, the TV. They're stealing those TV slots, basically, of what otherwise might have been, you know, another, you know, mid-major level game that, you know, the Power Five is just expanding their reach, I feel like, to a degree. Um, I know on the women's basketball side, too, UConn has a long history of, like, 
often having like a, a non-con game in February. This year they have number one South Carolina and they got the game on Fox, which is great exposure for women's basketball. Um, but again, like this is something that's like, this is power five helping power five. Um, and I just, I don't feel like to go back to like what Dave was saying, I don't feel like there's appetite among the power five to help out the mid the mid majors. Cause what's in it for the power five. They just want to go where the money is. And mm-hmm. until there's monetary reason or gain for them, um, it's out of the goodness of their hearts. Like, like what does South Carolina have to gain by playing at GW tomorrow night? Like I'm ecstatic for the game, but like, it's basically out of the goodness of their hearts that they're playing the game because they have nothing to gain by it and they have everything to lose. Yeah. So I, I, I think the real, the best solution, and it's not even a solution. It's just a potential measure is that there needs to be more of an emphasis on regional rivalries. And I think that's really the best way to, encourage these matchups because I know like Philly does it really well and I know there's some complaints about the big five and the way it sort of clogs up your non-conference schedule and you know for Villanova it can sometimes if the other big five schools are good it can really make life tough on them sometimes but I think overall those types of sort of guaranteed matchups are so huge and that kind of is the thing that these power fives can gain from that because they're really good for building up local engagement among sort of the non, like people who aren't exactly in like the school community, but in the greater city area, whatever community, I think that's really the best answer we have right now. And sort of maybe some, some sort of mandate that there have to be some sort of regional games every year, some sort of four sets of four or five or whatever it is that have to play each other every year. I think that would be really the best measure because it's like I know UMass and BC have had their whole thing. I know GW and Georgetown have their whole thing. I'm sure there are so many like uh, Sam, does Fordham, have they been trying to play like St. John's or Syracuse or something like that? So they played St. John's last year um, okay. at Carnesecca and it was it was a good game and I think it was great. I mean, you know, St. St. John's, you know, beat Fordham. It was it was not it was not like a close game, but it was it was it was a, a respectable game. Um, but no, that, that was the first time, you know, since I, you know, became a Fordham student, you know, from, you know, and, and graduating now, I'm, I'm, I'm two years graduated now that I've seen Fordham men play St. John's men. I've seen Fordham women play St. John's women a couple times. Um, because obviously, you know, women's scheduling is, is just a lot better. It's a lot more fluid. They, they, they focus, they, they value those rivalries a bit more. But uh, no, it's tough, especially in New York City. Like St. John's is playing actually LIU right now, and I really couldn't tell you the last time I saw them play LIU. Um, it's just really tough when you have you know a Power Six school in a city with with nine other teams, uh, give or take, um, and they don't really want to schedule each other. It is it, it can be a bit frustrating. Like Fordham versus Manhattan. Fordham did not schedule Manhattan this year, and they're considered uh, the, the the Rams' biggest rivals in basketball, but they're not playing each other every single year in non-conference play. Again, I I really couldn't tell you who's at fault there, um, but it's, it's, it's a little frustrating. I think it's something that fans want to see. Like, people talk about a Fordham. You know, you ask, you ask people at Fordham, like, who's our rival in football? Oh, it's Holy Cross. In basketball... Uh, I don't know, like St. John's maybe? No, it's 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 Manhattan College. It's the Battle of the Bronx. And I feel like people people aren't aware enough of that. And it's because non-conference scheduling for everybody is just such a mad dash 
to either build your resume or get in for buy games that it's, it's just crazy. And I can't, I know, I feel like we, we want to put the blame on the power five and part of it is on them because they, they, they value their resume so much. They value the TV time so much, but I think everyone's a victim of the system, right? It's, it's the net rankings. It's the Ken palms, which are useful tools, but I think are maybe sometimes a bit overvalued when people just want to see two classic programs from one city duke it out on a basketball court. You know, you know what I mean? So it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, going off of what you're saying, Sam, I don't even like the last time that BC played UMass, it was 2014. If I'm remembering correctly. And like, if you look at our football, it's, Oh, rivals, UConn. like, come on, like UMass, UConn, that's always going to be an interesting game. Um, But Basically, like the fact that UMass doesn't even like you could barely even say like that we have a rival for basketball. Like the most you can say is oh Harvard, but like we're playing we played Harvard like every season like that they've been having like basketball. Like granted they we didn't play them in the COVID year, but we've been playing them like every single season. But I don't see that as a big rivalry game like BC, UConn, Providence. But basically, all of those teams right there, Providence won't play us because we beat them too much. UConn's just scared of getting beat, I'm pretty sure. And same with BC. Like, they're afraid about their resumes and, like, how it's going to impact them in the tournament when BC isn't doing too well this season. They almost lost to Rhodey. So, that's on you, BC, for, like, chickening out on UMass. We won't mention the fact they beat Mason. <laughs> I, I didn't even but... see that. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I will say that, like, I, I do think money is this huge factor in this, though, because, like, it's one, like, and, and, and credit to you, Sam, for bringing this up, too. Like, women's basketball does such a great job in non-con scheduling. Like, Georgetown women will play at GW. Maryland women will play at George Mason. They did it this season. Like, Louisville played at Belmont this year, who was a team, like, Belmont made the Sweet 16 last year, but they're from, like, what are they, like, the, the Missouri Valley or something. Like, they're a school mm-hmm. that no one, no men's team in their right mind would ever play at like like if say if Shaheen Holloway had stayed at St. Peter's this year, no one would be playing at St. Peter's in a true road game. Like like that just would never happen on the men's side. And I think it's one of the things that's so great about women's basketball. That's my plug. Thank you. I know for part of this with the the men's scheduling is that for a lot of these um, the A10 for these Power Fives, I think is still technically a buy game. I know for a lot of them, A10 schools expect to be paid a significant amount to go to these power five schools to play. So I think that if there was some sort of NCAA or conference initiative where, you know, maybe the power five schools didn't have to pay that and the A-10 somehow got the money or wherever it was, and there was a way for these schools to play without money being a factor in terms of them having to cough up a few hundred grand to get an A-10 school there, I think we'd see a huge increase in the amount of these games that there are yeah Yeah, i mean i totally agree with you there david um like on the woman's side i will just say umass had played tennessee the last time we actually recorded a podcast they played that same night held in almost beat tennessee could have beat tennessee if their shots were falling and umass has two more power five teams coming up this week we have i believe missouri and arizona state and like an arizona state tip-off so 
it should be interesting to see how that actually plays out. And if UMass can pull away with those two wins, that'll be a huge resume boost for them, like going into the possibility of getting a second like bid for the A-10, considering A-10 for the women's side, they're known for just the automatic qualifying bid and that's it. Like we haven't seen many like two bid seasons other than last season when it was UMass and Dayton. All right. So speaking of a school that I think some other schools in their city are a little that, you know, some, some of us claim are, they're a little afraid to schedule. Uh, let's talk about George Washington and <laughs> amongst the, amongst the other eight, 10, some of the other eight, 10 talk contributors, specifically Daniel, I, I, I rustled a few feathers, uh, you know, just amongst ourselves because I put George Washington last in the power rankings about like two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, What's up with that? Okay. Come on, Sam. We have one bad loss. It's not even a, it's a bad loss. Let me me explain. Cause I feel like, I feel like I thought about it some more. I watched a little bit more, you know, basketball, you know, throughout the week, the past two weeks. And I, I felt like at the time I was unimpressed, but, but I was wrong. You know, something that I said, early on in this in the in in this podcast this season is you know along you know going back to scheduling considering that we have over 300 teams in division 1 i have felt like there is absolutely no reason why any division 1 school should be able to schedule a division 2 school or lower and I, I'm sure that George Washington was a victim of their circumstances, may, may, maybe or maybe not. Um, you know, playing playing Virginia State, maybe there was a bigger school that they wanted to get that they couldn't grab. But I just felt like an 85-58 win over Virginia State, an 85-75 win over Howard combined Howard's with gonna losses. Da- Howard, Howard's going to be dancing. They're really All right, good. well, combined with losses to Hofstra and UC San Diego, I just – I was just Hofstra's also going to be dancing. Unimpressed. Yeah, Hofstra's playing UMass in a few weeks. They're they're going to and they're at Mason tomorrow night, and they're going to beat the ever living crap out of Mason. Yeah, Hofstra. Yeah, was... Hofstra. So I was I went to Hofstra to broadcast that game, and Hofstra has this guy Aaron Estrada, who is the best individual player I have ever seen in college basketball with my own eyes. Wow. Since I saw. Brandon Ingram at Duke in March Madness in, like, 2015. Since then, Aaron Estrada is the single best individual player I have seen. Hofstra is really good. That is not a bad loss. Losing to them by five on the road is a testament to GW, not a knock. And when we win by 50 points tomorrow night over South Carolina, they're going to be singing our praises. (laughs) Yeah, South Carolina, it helps that they're really bad and their second-best player (laughs) is likely going to be out or limited. And so... That yeah, that that could be a little bit of a resume booster for GW, but no, GW has one bad loss on a team that shot like sixty percent from three against us. When that's their whole strategy, UCSD all they do is shoot threes. One out of four games they fall. That's what they win regardless of the opponent. So we got unlucky. It GW is better than. GW is not great, but I think they're solidly in contention to not be in the pillow fight. Oh, there's no, there's no scenario in my head, um, barring injuries, 
that GW ends up in the pillow fight this year. Oh, I think Just, there's a scenario. I think that there's a scenario where teams three through 10 in the A10 are pretty much the same and GW gets the short end of the stick, but I don't know. I GW has the makeup of a team this year that is just going to mess some people up in conference play. Like they're going to win games in really stupid ways, but like everyone is so used to within the recent memory, GW being nothing but other than God awful, because that's all they've been in the last like five years. And like, like I cannot like, Five years ago, six, whatever it's been, when GW won the NIT and, like, was a very good program, I could never have fathomed that people be making jokes about GW needs to be kicked out of the Atlantic 10. Like, and, and I understand this is this is Twitter shitposting. I understand this is how it works. But, like, GW is so far ahead of schedule of where I thought they would be. And, look, I don't – this is a GW love fest right now. It's fine. I, I, I need to get this out of my system. I just – I – GW is watchable, and they're a team that I enjoy watching and want to root for. I have been through, like, five years of just not wanting to go to games, not wanting to watch this team, because I hated what the product was on the floor. And I finally can watch a team that I'm excited about, and I'm just, I'm enjoying it. So what about this team excites you, though? Like You didn't like uh, Mayhem defense, Daniel? (laughs) What Mayhem? (laughs) Mayhem as in, there is no plan, so it's Mayhem out there. (laughs) Oh my but no, that was again. I'm gonna throw another little uh, coach, a former head coach, Jamie Christian's gonna catch another ricochet. But uh, his <laughs> signature phrase was mayhem, and he had this signature mayhem defense that he would run, where what? it was basically <laughs> just sort of this weird zone situation where, like, a second guy would just kind of swarm the ball, and it would sometimes create turnovers, but wouldn't really do anything and there wasn't really any sort of data or anything to back up why he would just have these guys running around who they didn't necessarily need to be and so <laughs> it it was sometimes very frustrating to watch he also said in his introductory press conference he wanted a shot up in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock that never happened with james bishop walking the ball off the court when that that also works if you're able to run a play <laughs> get a man open <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I'm getting something off. My, I'm getting a lot off my chest right here. <laughs> this well, he also has a turkey therapy. board. This is GW therapy tonight. It's also been really exactly, but so it's been really nice to see advanced offensive sets and you know screens that don't just get unused or I don't know um, passes to the interior where the guy just doesn't stand there and pass it right back. So it's really nice. It's it's fun to watch a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say like from our Matt McCall era. Um, our defense went from, okay, yeah, I think we could definitely win a game to, oh, why am I even going to bother watching when our defense sucks and we're not even going to, like, be able to defend uh, George Mason or a GW and have, like, lo- go on a big losing streak. Going on a big losing streak. And, like, the fact, too, that, like, Frank Martin has already came in and, like, rebuilt this defense and revamped like the entirety of it. And we actually have like set defensive plays. Like we actually ran a zone tonight against South Florida earlier on. So honestly, like the fact that coach Martin already has our defense like fixed up and like to a point where we actually can play defense and we can actually like hold a good team like Colorado, Murray state and um, Charlotte to loss, like to have them lose. Like that's awesome. Like, it looks good on our resume because 
all three of those teams are like big contentions for the NCAA tournament, specifically Murray State and Colorado. So you mentioned this this GW these these ball screens and the and the, and this ball movement, and I got to say that's something I, I I I've liked with with Fordham, you know, the the these past couple of weeks. How is GW excelling when they execute these screens? Are they finding the open shot? Are they, you know, dominating in the post? Is it is it a mix of of both of those things? Like, if I'm if I'm a if I'm a scout right now watching watching GW, what am I what am I writing down? They run an offense. Nice column. They actually run an offense. (laughs) But what kind of offense are they running? What are they running here? So what's really nice is they have two above-average point guards. James Bishop, obviously the guy everyone knows, and the player who's making a bit more of a name for themselves this year is Brendan Adams, who was the transfer from UConn last year, who before that was mainly known as sort of a defensive first guy who can sometimes make an open three but this year he's really stepped off his offensive game he has a super tight handle he's been making it rain from deep like not just hitting the open shot but really hunting for threes he has been able to drive in he's shown a really refined offensive game he just won a 10 co-player of the week this year so i think the big thing you need to worry about is sort of the backcourt because they can really make a lot happen from there both of them are in like the top 20 in the country in percent of minutes played, they're getting relied on a ton. And I think that just sort of the ball handling and passing ability from GW is just something not many teams have expected. The way they can move the ball, keep in possession. GW has been running a lot of three point guard lineups with Adams, Bishop, and then their first guy off the bench, usually EJ Clark. So they don't have a ton of size right there. But the way that team is that that grouping is able to move the ball and find the open man, it's there isn't. There still isn't a ton of interior production. Ricky Lindo hasn't really been uh, as big of a post presence as many have expected. But the big thing is the ball movement on the perimeter has been so fluid and so much better than I've seen in the past. I think opponents should be ready for GW to pass the ball a lot and to try to just limit the perimeter production. That's the big thing. All right. Well, you know what? I think I've... That, that that sounds like a respectable team, one that I will no longer be ranking, you know, barring any any big collapses, you know, be ranking them last in my in my in my power rankings. Now I've seen some a few a few worse teams in the Atlantic 10. But my final question before we move on to our, 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 our like kind of last topic here, uh, is this team suffering without the sideline turkey board? Oh, you know about the turkey? I've <laughs> I've seen turkey. it. I've seen it in action. I I saw the turkey board in action. My first game covering Fordham basketball for a ten talk was was at the Rose Hill gym. It was it was their season opener because they canceled their entire non conference slate that year because of COVID. I I I literally messaged Daniel like opening minutes of the game. I was like, "What is this? Like, what is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, Jamie and Christian had some uh interesting locker room ideas, like the the brooms. You guys remember that from last year? Oh god, that was so cringy. That was so <laughs> cringy. I no. wish I could he whenever we would like sweep a team in conference play, so like win which happened teams, once, I think. <laughs> which happened once and then we brought them to George Mason and got destroyed. So, um, <laughs> Basically, it was to stick it to URI. So, I mean, we were half our time. What can I say? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, who knows? Who knew that? And so, um, no, that was weird. The turkeys were weird. No one really got it. We just kind of went along with it. Thought it was funny. 
Could you just explain the turkey board for those viewers so that have, don't know? On the sideline, uh, one of the student managers would hold up uh, a poster board, and um, there were various um, sort of symbols that would mean different things. I think there were turkeys and zombies, right, Daniel? Yeah, it had to do with how many stops you got in a row, I exactly. think. So, like, it was a bowling was like- analogy, right? Yeah, so, like, Turkey was, like, three stops in a row, there was, like, a monster, and then, like, a Godzilla was, like, ten stops in a row, which they never once in his tenure, in his entire three years at GW, and never once got a Godzilla. Yeah, they they stopped doing the turkey board after, I believe, 2019-20. I don't think it was a thing after that. No, no, it was a thing in 20, it was a thing in 2021. Oh, okay. That's when yeah, I first saw it. was saw not a thing it. last year. They didn't do it last year. It might have just been the specific manager who whose thing it was, but I I don't I don't know. That that's not that did not make its way to the Caputo era. I tried to block that from my memory. Sad. Yeah. Well, uh, before it. we get off GW, I just want to say that their game. Uh, I guess I should say tonight against South Carolina is going to be very winnable. We saw what Davidson was able to do to them. There's a good chance that South Carolina will be shorthanded. Michi Johnson, uh, their transfer from Ohio State, is unlikely to play. Uh, their other best, their second best player, Carter, he's unlikely. He's about 50-50. We think he's a game time decision to play. It'll just be the Gigi Jackson show. Um, Ricky Lindo is probably one of the few players I think in the mid major bas- in mid major basketball who can match up with Gigi Jackson size-wise, and I think it'll be a great game. The Smith Center is going to be packed. Uh, there are There's a hypothesis that Lindsey Graham might be in attendance, which would be something, because he went to South Carolina, and so there are not going to be many other opportunities for him to see them play. So we're prepping for that. Um, it's going to be packed. There's going to be a huge pregame situation it will be a lot of fun. It'll be on national TV, CBS Sports, so that will not be one to miss. All right. Well, that's that's that'll be an interesting one for sure. I uh, wanted sure to you... watch it, but I don't get CBS Sports here on campus. Oh, brutal! Well, you, should, you should tune into WRGW, GWRadio.com, and hear my call I, of the game. I will probably try to do that, David. Um, I have like three different games I'm trying to watch tomorrow. Um, I have to watch my. But this is the most important one. Yeah, but, and Daniel, in advance, sorry. sorry, we can't have we can't have you on at halftime because because okay. uh, we're we're doing a promotion where at the pregame tailgate, whoever makes the best sign uh, gets to come on our halftime show. Oh, I love it! That's awesome. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, David, I I'm probably gonna try to listen to yours, but I also have UMass oh my gosh, versus no, no, Yale. No, no pressure at all. Our, our, Honestly, our all the pressure, so much pressure. <laughs> No, honestly, I actually want to hear it because with how much talking you are about this, I want to see like South Carolina lose because oh, and they we got will. their coach. We got their coach. I want to see them lose. Um, but I have UMass Women's tomorrow night against Yale. I have WNE, my own team, on the road at Suffolk. So I have to try to keep an eye on that because being a manager, it involves keeping an eye on your stat line and also making sure that it's an interesting game because it's actually our first conference game of the season. So I'm going to try to balance three games at once, but who knows? Who knows if I can even balance two. The last time I tried to balance two, I fell asleep during both of them. Well, speaking of UMass women's, uh, that's kind of the, what, what I wanted to talk about on our, on our final topic of the night. And that's uh, the most recent A-10 talk 
women's basketball power rankings. So, you know, published uh, two days ago by Daniel, you know, always doing a great job running, running this poll on our website. Our top five rounded out UMass, St. Joe's, Fordham, Rhodey, LaSalle. Thought this was really interesting as St. Joe's are the only undefeated women's team currently in the A-10, but UMass at, so St. Joe's is 6-0 and UMass at 6-1 still taking the top spot. Um, Daniel, from what you were looking at in the rankings, I mean, what about UMass just keeps them in the top spot? I mean, is, are we kind of, you know, hitting SIM on the season? Are we, are we just getting ready, you know, penciling in UMass as the number one seed in the women's tournament or what's going on with St. Joe's here? So it's, it's interesting. Um, Full transparency. I I think this was a unanimous vote. One and two were both unanimous votes, um, which I think was interesting. We actually had very similar ballots all the way down this week. Yeah. So I'm actually a voter as well, Sam. So seeing this as well, I mean, Um, I will say to be fair to UMass, their only losses is a very close road loss to Tennessee. So it's not like UMass lost to some UC San Diego at home. Sorry, sorry, David had to do it to it. Yeah. Um, I'm a Mason fan, so I have no room to talk about anything. Um, but UMass, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, is head and shoulders above everyone else until proven otherwise. I mean, the depth they have on the roster, the experience they have on the roster, um, I mean, what's not to love about this? Even I know they got a couple injuries at the moment, but even so, they they got a big week coming up. They got the MTE in Arizona against Arizona State and Missouri. That's really their last big chance, I think, to cement their their non con resume. Um, before the kind of, I mean, they got they have some other games, but everything else on their their schedule should be winnable. The thing with St. Joe's that's interesting is they've kind of come a little bit out of nowhere. This started last year in Wilmington during the tournament. They made a run, I think, to the semis of the A10 tournament. Um, yeah, lost... where they lost to UMass. Yes. actually, and then they lost Lila Fair in the off season um, as well to an interconference interconference transfer to um, UMass. Actually, coincidentally, which is the funniest thing. There was there was so much craziness this off season. St. Joe's. Here's the thing with St. Joe's. Their next four games, three of them are extremely winnable. Boston University, Drexel Ryder. Their fourth game is against a ranked Villanova team. If St. Joe's gets to 10-0, and 0, they beat Villanova, I think we can start to have the conversation about, is St. Joe's in the same class as UMass? Even if they lose, even if they get to 9-0 and 0 and they lose to Nova in like a close game and they're 9-1, and 1, we can, I think, start to have that conversation. And obviously they will play, you know, in once conference play hits. But as far as where we are right now, I think there's UMass is in their own class. St. Joe's is emerging. Um, and then you've kind of got the, the the next year of like the roadies. Who else is it? Who, Fordham. Fordham, Fordham and um, LaSalle. Yeah. VCU LaSalle is kind of trending downwards. But and then you get the, 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 the rest of the pack, which is just a giant slog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to agree with you, Daniel. I mean being really like focusing in on UMass um, women's um, specifically, I will have to say that the fact of right now UMass is only a lot like blown loss of the season is to uh, number five, Tennessee and almost lost against Drake in a very poorly played second and third quarter of that game. And then all of a sudden coming out of nowhere in the fourth quarter and, 
scoring, like t- going on a 25-2 run to end the fourth, like to end the fourth quarter and in overtime and not having Drake score a single point in overtime. I mean, I was tweet, I was the one tweeting on A10 Talk saying, oh my gosh, like UMass is actually like beating like this team. Like how like they go from like playing sloppy, like sloppy to actually doing well. And I mean, they're doing, they did this all without McKenna White. McKenna currently has sustained a foot injury. Um, her timeline of coming back is unknown at this moment, at least to me. I don't know if people closer in the program know. Um, but the fact that like UMass women's like has the depth, has the experience, I could say if St. Joe's really goes on a run, like you're saying they possibly could, Daniel, we could possibly be talking about UMass and um, St. Joe's really be competing for that number one spot, but. I will say St. Joe's is more of a younger team still, and they lost Layla Fair in, like, in the offseason to UMass. And I actually got to meet her over the summer and see her like just play around a little bit at their women's basketball camp as when I was working there with um, Nathan Strauss, actually, a friend of A-10 Talk. Um, basically, the fact of um, just seeing that like she does have the potential to do well here, and she really did well in – the second game against FIU when we played FIU in the FIU Thanksgiving um, classic championship, she really showed that she could be one of the next players that could be the next Sam Breen or take over for Angelique and McKenna if we need need it. So, yeah. I mean, so who knows? Like you said, Daniel, um, it, it really seems like, and, and, you know, this is, this is for both of you guys. It seems like, like what what the two of you are saying is that you know St. Joe's yeah they get the 10 and 0 they they can you know challenge for that number 1 spot. So again, just like we've been saying with the on the men's side, it, did St. Joe's kind of hurt themselves a little bit going into the season by not really scheduling a non-conference schedule that would set them up to be an at-large team because they weren't expecting it. And and because of that, do they have to work a little bit harder than UMass? Cuz Kaylee, like you just said, UMass Loses to Tennessee. <laughs> in some ways, you could you could pencil that in as a as as a win for your resume because it was such a great game against such a great opponent. So, is St. Joe's does St. Joe's have to work a little bit harder these these next couple games because we've only got like five or six games left in the non conference slate. You know, all all sides of basketball, which is honestly crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean, I would have to say like that the fact of UMass is like doing really good right now, but St. Joe's is definitely gonna have to work for it. They're gonna be really I could see right now St. Joe's and UMass possibly being the A ten championship. And if UMass loses to St. Joe's in that championship and UMass has like these really good like close fought games with Arizona State and Missouri this upcoming week, um, we could be seeing the fact of a two bid league with St. Joe's probably being the automatic qualifier and UMass being an at-large bid, but that's just really like looking way, way, way into the um, future without even seeing a start of a conference matchup yet. Yeah, no, great point. Um, I wait before that. I think part of their scheduling is they are sort of limited by their Big Five obligations, so that does take away a lot of 
so again, like, they're, like, group of six, or, like, their power six, I guess, school that they have to play, like, that's Villanova. So that doesn't really leave a few, a, a too many opportunities for them to really schedule up. So if Villanova isn't great, that's kind of, that's, that's a big knock because I know they scheduled Vanderbilt and they beat Vanderbilt. And so teams don't really like to schedule, mid, like, mid-majors don't really like to schedule more than two or three at most power fives because let's say they lose all of those then that really puts you in a bad spot. And so there, I think St. Joe's does get a little bit of a pass on this because of their being in the big five. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like a five-point loss against the number five team in the country is a a good-looking performance. But three losses against good power five schools kind of just becomes three losses at some point. Um, I think you totally hit the nail on the head. But, I mean, I feel like – we really love talking about scheduling here tonight, and I feel like we can keep talking about it. But, you know, finally, in terms of scheduling, let's talk about the last couple games, you know, this week in non-conference play that, you know, on, on the men's side are, you know, make-or-break moments for, for the A-10s at-large bid. Uh, and on the women's side, you know, just really important games to have some of these programs really stand out on a national spotlight. So for the three of you, any games this week or this weekend uh, that, that you'll be looking at and that, that are must watch. I know Kaylee, you've got a pretty loaded Wednesday slate, but after those, after that, you know, what, what are you looking at? So I'm going to just say this right now. I, yes, I do have a very loaded Wednesday slate and my Saturday is probably going to be a loaded slate as well. Along with Friday, I have two games for UMass on Friday. Um, we have the in um, state rivalry with Harvard. That's a sold out game. Um, so I'm unfortunately not traveling out to that game, but I guess a perk of not traveling out to that game is being able to watch that game and the Arizona state game we have for the Arizona state tournament for the women's team, like at the same time. And I have an hour to like, I can at least watch the first half of the men's game before I have to pull up the live stream for the Arizona state game. And I would say like Arizona state and Missouri are going to be like my two big watch games like of the season along with having to work on both Friday and Saturday for basketball for on campus here. So it should be interesting. And I'm going to give a quick score update for UMass. UMass is currently beating South Florida 73-64 with 31 seconds left in the game. So we got a pretty good game there. Um, I'm going to say at this point, UMass won. Congrats to the Minutemen on that win. I just saw that Davidson lost, so. Yeah. yeah. If I can interrupt you there. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kaylee and David, for just pointing that out to, to me. You know, before we finish off, I guess we've got some some breaking news here as, as, as Davidson, who I just said was, you know, top of the conference at 6-1, now falls to 6-2 after dropping a game to the Charlotte 49ers. Formerly of the Atlantic 10. Formerly of the Atlantic 10. Yeah. Yeah. Foster Lawyer, 22 points. Uh, Sam Menenga, 21 points. Uh, the rest of the roster, 23. Just 10 bench points. You know, three guys came off the bench for Davidson. I think, you know, I mean, obviously we were recording this podcast, so we really didn't get to see what was going on, but. We'd also just like to point out that Duquesne won um, 72-61 against UC Santa Barbara. Um, 
That's I a good don't one. have the stat line pulled up. I just quickly typed in Duquesne basketball to get the yeah. stat line for that to find out the final score. So that's a really good win for Duquesne. But looking at Davidson, I mean, I just don't think Foster Lawyer is just quite good enough to be that guy who can be, who can sort of lift up and carry a really subpar supporting cast to maybe get like a top four seed in the A10. I, I, I like Foster Lawyer. I thought he was a great fit on a really good Davidson team last year, but sort of on his own, I just don't think he's the type of player who can really be the team. And so I just think that, yeah, he'll have some nights where he explodes and he'll have some nights where he just shoots the lights out and gets them a win, but I don't think he's – they just don't have enough pieces around him. Like Sam Menenge, he's fine. Like I saw him a bunch last year, not – good enough to be the second option on a great team. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get, we'll, we're, we're going to have to run the tape back, right, and maybe talk about it on our next 810 Talk podcast because, I mean, Davidson, again, I think a good team, 6-2, and two, a big question mark in, in Davidson my is – they're so inconsistent, their problem. Like, like they remind me of Richmond at this point last season, and I don't want to compare them directly to Richmond because Richmond obviously won the, the, the conference tournament, but, like, like, you just know that, like, Davidson's probably going to win a stupid game against Purdue and then lose, like, to Delaware. And, like, <laughs> like let me pull up their schedule real quick. They have, yeah, Delaware, then Western Carolina. Watch them lose one of those two games, and then they get Purdue and Indy, and they'll probably will win that game, and then lose to Northeastern the following game. Like, they're, they're just, they're, their highs are so high, and their lows are so low right now is their problem. Yeah, and, I mean, they also have a brand-new coach this year. Um so you could expect a little bit of a rebuilding in that, but you probably won't see much of a rebuilding within that. Yeah. Well, that's, again, this conference, y- y- you can never make heads or tails of it. So I think all we can do, right, is just is just keep watching and keep listening to the A10 Talk podcast. So, David, real quick, give me your give me your game to watch this weekend, and then, Daniel, give me your game to watch this weekend. Um, I think when URI hosts Providence, that's going to be pretty big. And if URI is able to get a result there, I think that will pretty much sort of – who cares about the rest of their non-conference? If they're able to take down Providence, their non-conference has been a success. And that will totally change their outlook to the season. We know they have talent. We know they have – I'm not going to say a good coach, but we know they have a capable – like a coach who should have the capability to lead that team. And so that is definitely, definitely going to be sort of a nice little uh, post game for the USA Netherlands match earlier in the day. Let's go. All right. And Daniel, and, and again, Rhode Island excels in the, in the interstate local rivalries. Yes, they do. Does a great job. So Daniel, what are you watching this weekend? I'm going to flip it to the women's side. Underrated game with an underrated A-10 team. Richmond, who is sneaky good, should be 6-1, and one, but they're 5-2, and two, um, hosting Duke this weekend. Second A-10 team this year to host Duke. Um, Davidson was the first. Davidson couldn't get it done. Richmond, I think, is a better team. I think they're a more complete team right now. Um, I think it's an opportunity to catch Duke teams sleeping. Um Coming off of, you know, the road trip to Portland and coming back, I just, I don't know, I feel like this is a game that Richmond could sneak up on Duke and potentially steal one at the Robin Center. So that is 
uh, Saturday, or sorry, excuse me, Sunday, 2 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Nice. Love it. For me, uh, I'll be watching this game, especially because, you know, I got, a, I got a roommate from Tulane. Tulane's playing in the American uh, football championship game. So a big a, a big day for, for Tulane, especially because they're playing Fordham at 1 o'clock. Fordham 6-1. and one. Have the potential to go seven and one if they if they beat Maine uh, going into this game against uh, against the Wave. Uh, this is the game to figure out you know if Fordham is a legit team or not. So I think a really crucial game for Fordham. They've looked really good. I think their non conference schedule. You know, people say it's a bit too easy for them. I think it's tested them in the exact right ways. And the Tulane game is you know the game to see, you know, if what they've learned is, is really, you know, sinking into this team. So exciting, a lot of great games, a lot of great stuff coming out on a 10 talk on a 10 talk.com. The a 10 talk podcast coming at you trying to go every week here. Uh, You know, keep following us on Twitter, keep checking on the website, keep checking us, uh, you know, everywhere where you get your podcasts. And for David Korn, Kaylee Godek, Daniel Frank, I'm Sam Basil. This has been the a 10 talk podcast. And we'll see you next time.